0: Have a seat. Good morning. At this happy and holy celebration day of the resurrection, we're glad you're here today, and I trust that uh, today you're encouraged wherever you are, even if you're a skeptic. We're glad you're here, and uh, we'll be challenged to take a closer look. If there are any seats at all, you know, would you move toward the center aisle? Please do that now, because we have people looking for seats along the side. Can you do that? If you have any empty seats, move the center aisle. Don is the other way. It's that way. Okay. <laughs> Move toward the center. I think it'll be easier. (laughs) Toward this, this would be the center aisle, and this would be moving toward the middle. (laughs) Don, I'm sorry. I just had to call you out. Okay. All right. That'll give. There's uh, three seats here, and some down here too. Come on down. We're glad you're here this morning. We're here to love the Lord together, and I don't care who you are today. I'm glad you're here. And if you're not in a, in a, a place of a, a growing relationship with Christ, uh, join us. We're, all in different, we're just on different uh, places in our growth. We'd love to have you join us along the way, even if, uh, if you're angry at God or far away, not sure if you believe in Him, whatever it is. Uh, that's okay. We, we, uh, we are compelled to uh, discover who He is. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, the scripture says this, I pass on to you of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, and on the third day, he was raised to life according to the scriptures. That's why we're here. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful that there is truth like this to consider and to embrace and to welcome. And I pray, Father, we will do that today, for there's none like you. You are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to read today in just a few minutes from Matthew's gospel, chapter 28. There are four biographers of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew is one that writes initially to a Jewish audience. But this has been preserved for us that we may know the the, the truth of Jesus and who he is. There are certain moments in our lives that are life-changing, like, like the day you graduate from high school, the first day at university, the, the, the day you, you go on your first date with the person you're gonna live with the rest of your life, or the, the day the child is born, the day the child finally gets out of the house, you know, or when the dog dies, whatever those is those are. Those are life-changing moments. And there's certainly nothing, nothing the same about these women who come to the tomb this day and they and they find what is what what they least expected an empty tomb. Tomb. Verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him, they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. Come and see and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, "Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers. Go to Galilee, and there they will see him." For those of you who's coming in, there's a, there's a number of chairs right down here on my right and the left, right down here. Don't be afraid to come on down, and uh, we're glad you're with us today. The the resurrection of Jesus Christ absolutely changes everything about the whole course of our lives, the way we live, the decisions we make, the whole course of our lives. And this is why it impacts us so much. First of all, God's work is unstoppable. The Pharisees and the chief priests had issues with Jesus. They got along about as well as Democrats and Republicans do today, or Purdue grads and IU grads. That's how it is. They found Jesus highly offensive because he gained the attention of people they so held disdain against, like prostitutes and cheats and common people that they really didn't care about too much. He also exposed their religiosity that had no heart to it, no substance to it. They did what they could to stop him. But God's story by that time had been unfolding for about 4,000 years And through those years, some unwittingly thought they were taking control of God's story. Like like Abraham, who took matters into his own hand and saw that Ishmael was born. But that wasn't God's plan. It was to come through the promised child, Isaac. Uh, Jacob was a cheat. Who could use a cheat? God could use a cheat. In spite of the kind of person Jacob was, God changed him, and he became a God's ongoing story. There are nations of the world that stopped, tried to stop God's call, God's purpose of that day. King David was on the throne, became a, an adulterer and a murderer. You would think that would stop the work of God, but it didn't. God instead grabbed hold of David, causing David to repent and change and become a new man, even in spite of the sin that he committed. You can't stop the work of God. At the end of chapter 27 of Matthew, it says, "...they went, they made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard." In that one statement, there are three obstacles. There's this stone that was rolled in front of the place where Jesus was buried. There's the political obstacle. Uh, the Bible says that they, were, they feared because the last deception will be worse than the first. In other words, they say, if there's a claim that Jesus rose from the dead, that's worse than the first deception, which is that he claimed to be the Messiah. They, 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 they saw him as a deceiving person, not the true son of God. And the third obstacle were the guards themselves put there to ensure there'd be no mucky business uh, extended by the Jews somehow so they could fabricate a story that the tomb was empty. It's laughable to think that a rock, a government, and people can stop the work of God. Here we are 2,000 years later, and the gospel of Jesus Christ is on the move. Now, you may not hear that in our country. But when you read what's happening in the places of the world through techno- technological advances, through, the, through, through people, wise, godly servants who go and go to unreached people, and now they're, they're coming to him everywhere because the gospel is true. It is real. It appeals to the heart, and it's based on history and the reliability of the eyewitnesses who saw Jesus Christ. Now, those who think this is the secular mindset— who says, I can't believe anything beyond the material world. This is what I have a hard time with because there are so many good people in the world who want to make a mark. They want to make a mark in the area of poverty or, or in social justice or in um, just uh, addressing abuse or tra- human trafficking, whatever it is. But if this material world is all there is, what, 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 for what purpose? If this life is all there is, the material world, and it's all gone, why care at all? But see, the truth is people who believe in the resurrection care more about the material world because being saved by Jesus does not mean simply that we get, we get to now go to heaven, which is true. But he also, because he's a God who cares about poverty and the hungry and the alien and the disenfranchised and the widows and the orphans and all the rest, because he cares about them, God's people do as well. And in this material world, we're trying to make a difference in view of the fact that there is another world yet to come. You see, if you're a skeptic, if you're simply a humanist, and you think this is all there is, there's no reason to be noble in any of our tasks. Let's eat and drink and be merry because tomorrow we die. No, the work of God continues. Second, God's power is unfathomable. It's unfathomable. Here we are the first day of the week. These women come to the tomb, and I tell you, they're not expecting resurrection, they're grieving. They're coming to anoint Jesus' body with spices. And they, they, they come, and they, they, they don't even know how they're going to get to his body. They just know they've got to do something. You know, that happens when somebody dies in your family. i got to do something. And so you get busy doing something, even though it may not be profitable or anything. It's just you have to be busy, and that's these women. And what we learn through all this, it, it, this this bleak day for them is that his power, God's power, is made perfect in weakness. That's what the Bible says. He takes the weakest day of our lives. And he does something unthinkable. Consider the Steinborns' story right now.
1: I had everything, everything lined up. I was going to, you know, marry the girl, get the job have the kids and live a wonderful life.
2: I can remember us having a conversation um, before we even got married and, you know, we, we thought, oh, maybe, you know, two or three kids.
1: I always dreamed of two boys that looked just like me and one girl that looked just like her.
2: We decided that we wanted to try and start our family probably about a year after we were married.
1: We, we started down that path of, of doing the blueprint that we had of having children and it uh, didn't end up working out the way we planned.
2: I think in the beginning I stayed positive, but it it was just, it was very disheartening. It was um, a huge struggle for us, for sure.
1: We prayed about it, and it it was definitely one of the hardest times in our marriage.
2: It was very hard for me to let go of what I wanted so badly, which was, to carry a child. I just wanted to know why more than anything. Um, And I think everyone, you know, when things don't go your way, you want to know why. I felt like there was silence. I felt like my prayers were not getting answered.
1: They had almost basically ruled out any chance of us having biological children. And that was like, well, our next step, is adoption.
2: Maybe this is what we're supposed to do. And it did, it felt like, I can can honestly say for the first time in my life, that was, felt like something um, we were called to do.
1: I guess it was nothing like you would expect in your mind. When, When I was growing up, I imagined that there's just a, a home of children that need families. They're just waiting for families. And then, you know, people who want to adopt come and do it. And it doesn't necessarily work out that way.
2: You know, you just sit back and you wait for somebody to, to choose you to be the parents to this child that they can't take care of. Um, and it was a hard thing to wait for. We actually got the call from our attorney on Luke's 30th birthday. I'll never forget it. And saying that um, we had been chosen by a birth mom. And he was born two weeks later. So uh, we met Avery when he was not even 24 hours old.
1: The first day that I laid eyes on Avery and got to hold him in my arms, I mean, it was, yeah, the greatest day of my life. And I'll never forget that day.
2: It's hard to explain even the connection that I felt with him because it was an immediate connection. I remember Luke saying to the nurse, like, so that's it? <laughs> You're just going to let us take him home? You know, we're, we're parents now. You know, it was the craziest thing. Um, we were just in complete awe.
1: People might look at us as a, as a mixed family, or not, and I can tell you I don't even you don't see any of that anymore. I mean it's it's like that is our son.
2: Now looking back I can say my prayers were absolutely answered. You know I I wanted to be a mom really that's what I wanted to do and Avery made me a mom. So yeah he answered my prayer but not the way I wanted it to be answered back then.
1: I can't describe the joy of 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 the adoption process with Avery. How how there's so many surprises along the way.
2: We initially had said, you know, well, this is this is what a, you know, this is how we're going to build our family, so we'll adopt again and we'll have two kids and call it a day and that was just, you know, after Avery came along that's just what we thought that's how we thought we were going to continue to build our family.
1: Through our struggle with adoption and with the, uh, with the birth of Roman, I feel like we were almost given a gift that we could really appreciate what we had and what was given to us and the gifts that we were blessed with on this earth.
2: I learned that God never gives up on you. No matter how much I was struggling, no matter how mad I was, um, or even, you know, if I had gone several days without talking to him, um, he was always there. And so I learned just of his, you know, the greatness of his love.
1: The love loving our families as much as, as any family could have. And I think that could represent God's family, how we bring in people of- all different thoughts, all different mindsets, all different places in their walk, all different levels of suffering. Some people could be going through the hardest times in their lives and I believe God welcomes us all.
2: For God to take all of us in as his own children um, is amazing, you know, and I, the love that I have for both Avery and Rowan, it doesn't matter how they got here. As hard as the last seven years have been, Um, I'm so thankful for all of that.
0: So, how's your blueprint going? Most of us have blueprints, you know. Let's thank Luke and Carly. They're sitting back there. Thanks for your story, Luke and Carly. Uh, and we've all got the story. Now, it may not have worked out exactly. Didn't, their blueprint didn't work out. Great, great analogy. And our blueprints don't, and they're flawed. And God has a blueprint that's better for us than one we could ever design for ourselves. And Carly, by her own admission, is saying it wasn't perfect faith in the process. God doesn't wait till we have everything in order before he reveals himself in our weakness. In spite of our weakness, sometimes in spite of our weak faith, he shows up and stuns us to draw us even closer to him. Praise God for a God like that. His power is unfathomable. Will you trust him wherever you are today in the blueprint of your life to give him full reign to construct it the way he wants to? Third, his opponents are unbelievable. There was attempted cover-up of so, of course. If we read further, we'd read that these these, uh, guards who experienced this earthquake and Uh, I mean they they were stunned They were left like dead men as the text tells us So they go to the chief priests And they give testimony of what they saw And so they were were paid hush money And the chief priest said Well just tell people that You all fell asleep And the Jews stole the body Well now that's about as good As the dog ate my homework You know All these guards, Roman guards, trained guards They all fell asleep Punishable by death of course and uh, even though they were all sleeping, they knew it was Jews that came and took the body of Jesus. I mean, it's just all, uh, it's all ridiculous. And, of course, the chief priests, the Bible says, they assure these guards, look, if this happens to get back to the governor, uh, we've got your tail. Yeah, right, I'm sure. Paul the Apostle goes on to write this in Corinthians. For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom, he says, are still living, though some will have fallen asleep. I think he's saying by that line, check me out. He also appeared to James, he says, just check me out, they're still living. Now here you are on April 16, 2017. Let's say you're alive 20 years from now. hope you are, unless you're really old. And hope you are in heaven by that time. Uh, but, you know, here's, here's Paul. Let's say 20 years from now, somebody says, you know, I heard one time that preacher, that Christian church, he's dead now. But he wore, uh, like, a Mickey Mouse T-shirt and shorts and flip-flops that day back. I think it was, like, 2017 or something. And he said, hey. Wait a minute, I was in church that Sunday. I happened to be in church that Sunday. I remember being there. He, you no, know, he had on a tan coat and blue shirt. Now, what are you going to listen to, somebody hearsay or somebody who says, no, I was there. And so we have 11 appearances recorded and preserved for us in the Bible so that we know this isn't hallucination. This is not emotionalism. Even 500 people at one time, there were people alive who had been there and their testimony continued on and on and on. The scriptures are Reliable. They've been tested by all kinds of skeptics who cannot disprove. I even read a skeptic recently, and at the end of all his arguments, he said, it is a rational decision to conclude that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now, he wouldn't change because he likes his arguments, but he says there's nothing irrational about believing the historicity of the resurrection. There'll always be opponents. There always have been of God's existence and his work in the world. Always, so be used to that. We are not of that crowd. Fourth, good news is undeniable. Good new, God's news is undeniable. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go and quickly tell. Because this news is undeniable, when you meet Jesus, there are four imperatives. First of all, come. That's where you start. And I don't know where you are today in your journey. You may be a skeptic. You may be someone that doesn't know exactly what to do with it all. Uh, maybe, maybe you believe it, but it hasn't really captured your life. You still need to come. You need to come. You need to come closer. If he hasn't impacted your life, you have to get closer and take a deeper look. And it doesn't matter what your story is. It doesn't matter how, how, what you've done. It doesn't matter how dark your record is. It doesn't matter how far away you feel from him. Everybody is invited to come. The second imperative is to see. That means to examine. Take a close look. And God can handle your greatest doubts. In fact, it's only out sometimes of doubts that faith emerges. I you know, so talk to so many believers say, oh, I, I, have some, I, I just feel like I have this doubt in me. And I know that's not a good Christian. That's ridiculous. There's, it's a ridiculous thing to think If I have any doubts at all That I can't be a good Christian that's, that's, that's part of this faith journey It's working through our doubts But I tell you when you take your doubts And are honest about them And when we work with them With the scripture And with other people With the spirit of God I tell you that's where strong faith comes from So examine the evidence The third imperative is go Where are you going today? Brunch? You know To Easter egg hunt? Get wet? Hey, wet eggs today huh? Uh <laughs> No, it's, 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 it's wherever you're going, the presence of Christ is with you when you belong to him. That, that's, the, that's the wonderful thing about this. He changes everything about conduct, not just behavior, because if it's only behavior, there hasn't been a heart change. And you can change your behavior without Jesus. You don't need him to change your behavior. But you do need Jesus for a new heart. That's why the apostle Paul writes, the old is gone The new has come. The new he's talking about is a new heart, a new energy, a new motive, a new reason to get up in the morning and finally tell. How can we not tell of this when we know the truthfulness of this? You know, we like our Bible stories and movies to end with a bang, you know? We don't like movies that leave us hanging. We don't like Bible stories that leave us hanging. We love it when Israel goes through the Red Sea through a wall of water. We love it when David kills the giant, you know, we love it when these, these great battles are won in the name of the Lord. We love all that. <laughs> Friday's story wasn't a bang, was it? Not Good Friday that we call that now. And that time period, 2,000 years ago, that was a bad, bad day. When God's, God's followers caved, they didn't know what to do. They just hid. Today, you may feel like it's Friday to you. You may be in the Friday of your life experience where it's all bleak, it's dark, you see no hope, you see nothing but a den. And don't allow, don't allow your feelings and your experiences to override the power of God and the undeniability of the good news of the resurrection. He takes our worst days and he turns them into good things. Whatever that is, we have to trust him for that. We keep putting our faith in the power of God. The same power of God who raised Jesus from the dead is a master at raising dead situations to life and dead people to life again. That's. But you have to be willing to let his never-ending story be woven into your story. And you know when that happens? When both stories are, are woven together, God's never-ending story becomes your never-ending story because his life comes to you here and his life carries you from this life to the life to come. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Let the resurrection of Jesus Christ change you from the inside out. Now, the Bible says... If you really believe that, if you believe that's true, you have to confess that. You have to confess. You know that he's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You have to accept responsibility for the sins of your life. We're all rebels, friends. I've rebelled. You've rebelled. We've all made a mess of things. We all have sins in our lives. We have to admit that. We have to admit we're rebels. We have to confess Jesus is Lord. And the only way that I can be right with my creator is to to humbly submit to him. I repent of that, I change, and then I am buried with him in this watery grave where the blood of Christ is applied to me and you, and we raise up, and when we're raised up, all those sins, the worst sin of your life that nobody knows about or hears about, and word never gets out, all that is washed away as well as the guilt, and by the power of Jesus Christ, you are raised to a powerful life to live. That's the gospel, friends. That's the good news. I hope you won't miss him. He's a great savior. He's the ultimate Lord. No one like him. Today is the day of salvation. He is worthy of our worship. If you want help with this, please let us know. We want to walk with anybody here. doesn't matter where you are in faith or no faith. You, you begin a journey. I tell you, there's a great end in sight. God bless you. Let's stand and worship the risen King.